Today, we are reacting to the news that the Denver Broncos passed on picking up Shane Ray's fifth-year option. What does that mean for the Denver Broncos, and what does that mean for the other pass rushers on the roster? We're going to break it down. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I am your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my partner, my co-host. We've been together a couple weeks now. We've been killing it. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, you spent most of the past week on the road. Tell our listeners what you've been up to. I was in Nashville at the annual 24-7 Sports Conference Kind of hearing about the past, the present, and the future of the company with the merger with Scout and Mile High Huddle and all those other sites, all those other components of the network. And I think based on what I read and based on what I heard, based on what was presented to me, I think a lot of uh, of our readers and listeners and VIP members are going to be pleasantly surprised. Some huge, stuff. enormous plans from the network and all these – you know, all this merger and these things that have been happening uh, between two, uh, 24-7 Sports, um, Scout, Mile High Huddle, joining all this stuff and our sister sites from Scout that are also making the leap on the college and the NFL side. It's for the purpose of absolute internet domination. And it just sounds like from Zach was there. I didn't get a chance to go out, but uh, hopefully next time. But from the sounds of it, Zach, we've uh, the, the listeners, the readers, the VIPs, the subscribers, they're on deck for some really interesting things in the coming year. Yeah, they're really going to like it. It's really interesting. Well, hey, we're here to talk some Broncos. Follow the show on Twitter, though, you guys, at Huddle Up Pod, and make sure you take some time, if you've never done this, and go leave a creative review. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, I don't care where you're listening, just please take a second and leave a creative review. Rate the show. It's absolutely key and crucial in terms of us reaching new listeners. All right, and also lets us know how you're liking the show, we get feedback from you, which is also very important. And one last piece of business is we got to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. You guys, go get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Take the opportunity to get that free book. Also comes with a 30-day free trial and patronize our sponsors. Great way to support the show. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, so the biggest news of the past week beyond the draft, of course, was Denver's decision to pass on picking up Shane Ray's fifth-year option. And really, the writing was on the wall, I think, and we talked about this a little bit last week, Zach and I, when the Broncos had Bradley Chubb fall into their lap, right? Shane Ray now, though, joins Sylvester Williams as first-round picks that John Elway chose not to option for a fifth year. What that means, though, is that Ray, a guy coming off a disappointing season that was marred by injury, is entering a contract year, which could be huge for both Ray and the Broncos. But, Zach, the odds tell us that it's unlikely that Ray is going to be in the orange and blue beyond 2018, but... That doesn't mean that he can't make the most of this coming season and just ball out of control. 
I think it was a good decision for both sides, even if it was unsurprising. I don't think the plan was to pick up his option, even if Bradley Chubb wasn't drafted. But what it means right now is he's auditioning for 31 other NFL teams, and it can only help the Broncos if he puts a good year on tape. And of course, on the Broncos side, they have four really, really good pass rushers on that defense playing together for 2018 in Von Miller, Ray, Shaq Barrett, and uh, Bradley Chubb. So it's good for both sides. It's not surprising to me. I didn't think they should pick it up. I wasn't surprised they didn't pick it up. Uh, but I think it should work out if Ray stays healthy and plays to his first-round potential. One of the things I've never understood about this whole situation is, and we're sharing a brain on this, Zach and I, like both of us were like, nah, last week. They picked up Chubb. I don't think you need to go drop almost $10 million on a pass rusher who is coming off a season with just a single sack. And with that in mind, one thing that's never made sense to me is just some of the feedback I've seen from the fans and on the message boards and on social media is just this disbelief that the Broncos are not picking up Shane Ray's fifth-year mm-hmm. option like he's you know, yeah. like he's Von Miller or something. Yeah. Like we're talking about a guy here. All right, let's let's get real. This is a guy who has missed uh, a lot of games as a pro. That's probably been the biggest issue holding him back. But, Zach, he's only got 13 career sacks in three seasons, and this was a first-round pick. This was a guy that the Broncos will tell you they had rated as a top-10 player in the 2015 draft that they were able to get You know, as he tumbled through the first round because of those marijuana issues and all that. But I've never seen him produce like a top-10 guy, and a lot of his sacks that you've seen, those 13 sacks that he has been able to put on tape in the NFL, there's a few of them that you gotta hang, he can hang his hat on and say, that was me. But most of them, if you go back, we've done film studies on him at Mile High Huddle, a lot of them are either coverage sacks or him getting lucky and, you know, give him credit, like keeping his motor going and all that, but like quarterbacks running into him, just like it's not him in the same sense where you see Von Miller just turn the edge and dominate a tackle and get to the quarterback. When's the last time you remember seeing Shane Ray do that? You know what I'm saying? I guess 2016 when he doubled his sack total from four to eight from the previous year. But he's inconsistent. He's injury prone. He benefits from playing opposite Von Miller. He benefited from playing with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. I wonder if you put Ray on a defense without Miller, how good is he really? I don't know why people are um, you know, surprised by them not picking the option up. He's not a consistent player. He's not a pure pass rusher. He's okay at setting the edge. He had some good sacks, as you said. He, he's not the worst player in the world. But he benefited a lot from having Von Miller play on the other side of him. Right. And translation is this, you guys. Listen, he's simply not – the Broncos don't view him in his production, what he's been able to do thus far, worthy of basically guaranteeing him $10 million again. That that $10 million or it's $9.3 or whatever it was, Zach. You you guys forgive me if I don't get the numbers right, but it's nine-something, okay? That's what they would have been. 9.2, I think. There you go. Okay, so – that's still a huge chunk of change for 2019, and it's guaranteed only against injury. And we're talking about a guy, as Zach pointed out, very injury prone. What that means is if they went into 2019 and get into training camp and they've got him on this fifth-year option and he falls down and, and hurts himself and misses the entire season or misses a significant portion of the season, they're paying him top pass rusher dollars to ride the pine, and they're locked into it. And that's one of the reasons why they just had to pump the brakes and say, look, we're not officially saying this is Shane Ray's last year as a Bronco, but what we are saying is we don't currently value him 
at that level it would cost to keep him on that fifth-year option. But tell me this. All right, what do you think? You got Shaq Barrett coming back, obviously, on an RFA tender, making just shy of $3 million in 2018. What does this news mean for Shaq Barrett in your mind, Zach? Well, to your point, at $9.2 million, you just simply can't keep everyone on the same team. It's not feasible in today's NFL. You have Von Miller with the cap number of over $25 million hmm. for 2019 next year. You have Bradley Chubb making an excess of $20 million on his rookie contract, nine point two for Ray, and Barrett, who will be an unrestricted free agent next offseason. I'm of the mind that Barrett is a much better outside linebacker than Shane Ray. Hmm. So if he plays decently this year as a free agent he's going to get a very lucrative contract on the open market it, it was never feasible to keep Shane Ray so without him in the picture now they can not worry about that allocating that 9.2 million to Ray maybe they can put it towards Shaq Barrett and keep a really good trio of pass rushers in Barrett, Shubb and Miller and keep going back to the well keep going back to the draft for that fourth guy to keep that rotation four deep you know and they've got a guy this time around in in the Auburn kid uh, Jeff Holland who was supposed to be a mid-round pick. No one I've talked to, none of the mile-high huddle guys who were extremely locked in with scouts around the league and draft nicks. Nobody can figure out why this Jeff Holland dude from Auburn dropped all the way out of the draft and into the Broncos' laps. So this is a guy who's got some potential, some Shaq Barrett caliber potential as an undrafted guy to step in and maybe as a rookie this time around, you know, maybe he doesn't make the roster because it's, you know, it's a pretty stacked depth chart. But if they can keep him on the practice squad, see what he does in preseason, keep him on the practice squad with the eye toward unleashing him on into a bigger role next year when you see a Shane Ray depart and, you know, maybe the Broncos pony up and, and, and try and get Shaq Barrett. If they see some real progress from him this year, maybe they can pony up like – and, and have one of those rare in-season extensions we've seen Elway do with Chris Harris and, and Derek Wolf. Yeah, Jeff Holland is a guy that I have no idea how he became an undrafted free agent. He had a mid-round grade, a third, fourth, fifth-round grade by most analysts, and the Broncos, to Elway's credit, got him as an undrafted free agent. He could be that next undrafted gem that John Elway does unearth on this defense. It might be hard for him to crack the defensive rotation this year with so many players ahead of him, yeah. but to your, you know, like you said, on a practice squad, if they can just keep him and develop him, in that outside linebacker room, you could see a real player, a real future contributor for this team. It's it's incredible that they got him as a uh, UDFA. So uh, it doesn't. He's not going to get any starting reps. I don't think Shane Ray's departure helps or hurts Holland. I think that the Broncos getting Holland at all was a coup for them. Yep, absolutely. So last thing I'll just say, and then we're going to move on to some other topics of discussion for today, is just look. This isn't the end of the world with Shane Ray not getting tagged on that fifth year. He still has the opportunity to prove to the Broncos that he belongs in Denver and should stay in Denver. And if not, you know, the Broncos, if he doesn't come out with a big season in 2018, it just means the Broncos made the right decision. And if he does, it means the defense is probably going to have a great year. So look at it that way. But anyway, we also found out this past week that the Broncos ended up biting the bullet on offensive lineman Menelik Watson. As Zach reported just a few days ago, Watson's $5.5 million base salary became fully guaranteed on March 18th, which is a ways back. But that means that barring a trade, which isn't going to happen, Menelik Watson will be on this roster in 2018. So needless to say, Zach, this is not music to the ears of Broncos country coming off a season in which Watson was just a sieve at the right tackle position. 
The team plans on giving Watson a chance inside at guard from what we've heard, which might actually suit him better. He'll end up competing with Connor McGovern and Max Garcia, as it sounds like he's sticking around, at least in the short term, uh, and then possibly serve as tackle depth behind Garrett Bowles and Jared Valdir. But, I mean, I, I hear that, him even being available as a tackle, and I just I say, yikes. You know, just I don't want to hear him at tackle anymore. Yeah, I mean, a literal traffic cone would have been more effective than Menelik Watson at right tackle last year. I think he allowed, what, eight sacks in seven games before he went on IR. He lived up to his reputation as an injury-prone, ineffective player coming over from the Raiders. And, you know, it's a, it was one of John Elway's biggest failures in recent years, right up there with Donald Stevenson. Uh, it's, you know, it's a shame they couldn't get a right tackle before his salary became fully guaranteed because I believe they would have saved a lot more money by designating him a post-June 1st cut. Mm-hmm. I think $6.125 million and only $1.3 million in dead money if they would have cut him before March 18th. And now it's the opposite. Now it's uh, 6.83 in dead money and only 343000 in cap savings. He's locked into a roster spot unless he restructures like Stevenson did last year. He took a pay pay cut twice right. and voided his 2018 contract year. But assuming he stays on the roster, I, I, he's going to be what we've been told is he's going to be that swing tackle behind Garrett Bowles, behind uh, Jared Valdir. But I think his future could be a guard because of his build. His he, If he's good at one thing, it's run blocking, if anything. Yep. And I think he would have more success there not being left on an island in pass protection. But uh, the best thing that could happen for him was the Broncos not drafting a surefire guard in the draft like a uh, Quentin Nelson or a Will Hernandez. So I think he will compete at right guard with McGovern, with Max Garcia, and we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and unfortunately – the he has all the leverage at least this year the broncos can't really come to him and say hey take a pay cut it would be like you know no i don't have to do that pound pound sand mr elway you're on the hook for five and a half million whether you love me or not you know so that window passed in march 18th so broncos fans just start getting used to the idea of him at least this time around the team being smart enough to say look he's a depth guy all right we're not putting him (laughs) we're not anointing him as the, the starting right tackle so count your blessings Unless Valdir gets injured again, and then we're right back to square one. My hope there is if it, if something happens to Valdir, which could happen because he's getting up there, you got Elijah Wilkinson, you got the uh, this kid's name always I always lose Cyrus Quanjo. Cyrus Quanjo, uh, who actually looked pretty good. Now now Wilkinson never got a shot to actually play real snaps last year, even though he made it short term onto the active roster. But Cyrus <laughs> Quanjo actually played well. Uh, in his very limited st- uh, opportunities to to start last season after uh, Watson hit injured reserve, so I'm actually and and you know Stevenson got hurt or whatever. I can't remember all the exact uh, details that led to that, but I was impressed with him. I went back watched some of the film, so who knows? Maybe he can uh, maybe he can serve at the very least as that swing tackle and relegate Watson to just being inside. I think we were so desperate last year after seeing Watson, Stevenson, Billy Turner, Alan Barber at right tackle. Ugh. Anyone would have looked good. You would have looked good back there. <laughs> yes. He does He does have some uh, – he, he was a high-round draft pick, I think, out of Alabama with the Bills. Yeah, so second-rounder. He has the pedigree. You just wonder if he can put it all together. Maybe in the second year in the Broncos system, maybe they found something there. One of the few Alabama players you will ever see the Denver sure. Broncos – target uh but that's a that's a topic for another another podcast but well we'll turn the page we'll we'll move on and talk about royce freeman the third round pick the broncos surprised a lot of people uh with the 71st pick in the draft including many of us at mile high huddle when they took royce freeman because 
he was a guy that just wasn't on a lot of people's radar at that point. And as I wrote on Sunday, I've since warmed to the pick, Zach. I, you know, being a Utah Utes guy in the Pac-12, I was of course familiar with Royce Freeman. But over the past week, I've really taken some time to go study some of his film, and I've come away more than impressed with this kid. In fact, I'm confident that there's really nothing he can't do. You know, he's not the most explosive running back in terms of, you know, getting downfield in the blink of an eye, but this guy is as instinctual as they come and so tough, can get to the edge, can bang it between the tackles, can catch, you name it. So unlike most rookies, though, he won't be coming in to compete with an entrenched veteran or star. He's going to be going up against Devontae Booker primarily, although we probably shouldn't discount D'Angelo Henderson going into his second year. But what I'm getting at here is that Freeman has a good shot, I think, at winning the starting job as a rookie. But in your mind, Zach, what type of impact do you see Royce Freeman making in 2018? First of all, I agree with you. He brings a lot to the table. I really like his skill set. He wasn't my number one running back in the draft class. I wanted maybe three or four running backs before him. But as a third rounder, a guy who has terrific balance, agility for a man his size, over six foot, 220 pounds. He has some wiggle to the edge. He can get outside. He's very tough. He has a violent running style. He wants to punish people. I think of him as a rich man's version of C.J. Anderson. And you put that in a committee approach at the minimum with Booker and Henderson. I think he could do some damage on the field. At a minimum, he will be the number two running back behind Booker, but I think he could start. If, if he comes out in training camp and he shows the coaches he's dependable, that's one of the things that the Broncos liked about him. He had a thousand over a thousand touches in college. He was the Oregon's all-time leading rusher, and he's durable. He's dependable. You can give him the rock. You don't have to worry about it. Yep. So I, th- I think on early down work and goal line work, that will be Freeman's wheelhouse, and maybe passing situations, he will see duties to Devontae Booker. But I think at a minimum, he will see eight to ten carries per game, and I think he could surprise a lot of people. And that's been the biggest issue like with Devontae Booker is the Broncos have remained extremely high on Booker you know, they've given him a lot of opportunities at the at the table where a lot of guys didn't feel like he had earned it, especially last year, getting those touches, taking him away from Jamal Charles, a guy that was an established pro bowler, a guy that, you know, frankly looked like he still had some gas left in the tank, and yet the Broncos were feeding Booker. And as much as they have that optimism in him being the guy eventually, what the he hasn't been able to prove in his two years in the league is that durability. And that's where I think you can see a guy like Royce Freeman stepping right. in, with a very complete skill set for a running back just coming out of college and kind of taking control of that that running back competition relatively quickly. But we'll see. We'll see how motivated Devontae Booker is by this pick in the third round and seeing you know, how much umbrage he takes with the Broncos investing such a high-round pick in a, in a player at his position. I'm one of the bigger Booker fans out there. I uh, We talked about this on last week's show, I believe, that Devontae Booker gets so much slander from the fan base. And I don't understand it. I think he's a good running back. He was a fourth-round pick, I believe. Yep. And as, as a pass catcher, as a runner, he has some explosion to him. You saw it in the Colts game last year when he had that highlight reel touchdown. So I think he's still a weapon on offense, but is he a workhorse? Is he a true number one guy? Maybe not. But in a committee, you have a good thunder and lightning with Freeman and Booker, and you throw Henderson in there, and that's a good three-headed approach. I agree. And Henderson's that guy that you can work in some little plays to change pace and try and catch the defense off guard. So I think even though it's a very young running back room, that's kind of what you want. You want youth at that position. So it's exciting things on the horizon for the Broncos, I think, offensively. 
It's going to surprise some people in 2018. Now, we do want to get to the mailbag today, but uh, before we do, let me just holler at you really quick about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Our approach to covering the Broncos isn't just about reporting the news, although we pride ourselves on being able to relay to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. What we like to focus on is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's an all-22 film review, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, coming out of the draft now, you know, analysis on the 2018 class. But we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. Now, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. Click the monthly or the annual option, whichever you prefer, and you'll be locked in. And from there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info that we pick up along the way. And we do. We we bust our butts. We work hard to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber, and you pull the trigger. You have my word. You will not be disappointed. All right, we did want to set some time aside, some real, a real chunk of time this time around to answer some questions in the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. <laughs> and our first one here comes from Bronco Maniac on Twitter. Always a very lively conversation with Bronco Maniac on Twitter. His question, Zach, I'll serve it up to you. Which undrafted free agent or agents, plural, do you see having the best chance of making the 53-man roster? We already mentioned one, Jeff Holland, as an outside linebacker. It might be tough for him because they have so many people at that position. But like I said, he was a third or fourth round graded guy. And to get him as an undrafted free agent, they also gave him a $15,000 signing bonus. So obviously the Broncos feel like they have something in him. Obviously they think he can make the squad. So Jeff Holland is one guy. And also, of course, Philip Lindsay, the running back from Colorado. Another guy they gave a, a $15,000 signing bonus to, a guy they became very well acquainted with, a guy who who has a good skill set. Uh, it's going to be an uh, uphill battle for him because there is three other guys on the depth chart. They also drafted a seventh-round guy in David Williams. But I think those two guys out of the eight people they signed are by far the biggest uh, the biggest chances to make the 53-man roster. I think they'll face uphill battles. But with injuries, if they outperform in training camp, you never really know. I can't disagree. But the one guy that I'll throw in there additionally is the other guy who got a $15,000 uh, bonus to sign which is Lowell Lotalele, the big defensive mm. tackle from Utah. Right. Now, I talked to a source just this past week, a guy uh, very close to that family. Uh, of course, Lowell's bigger brother or older brother, Star, of course, big first-round pick from the Panthers a few years back who just signed that big multi-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. But talking to this fella, uh, he said, I said, look, man, this perception that he's a you know uber-talented defensive lineman just like his big brother but does he have the passion is that real does you know is that a real concern and he he told me absolutely it's real like that's the biggest difference between Lowell and his big brother star is just this does he really love football where are his priorities and so I think the the upside to that though is you're putting him into a room with Bill Kalar where half effort is not going to be suffered by that man so if there's any D-line coach in the NFL that could turn the ship around and get the most out of an extremely talented defensive lineman like Lolo Tolele, I think it's going to be Bill Kalar. So just keep an eye on him as well. But next question comes from uh, Chad 
cmontana91 on Twitter, also a uh, great follow and a great conversationalist on Twitter. His question is, uh, it's couple, it's twofold here. I'll, I'll hit, hit, hit it up like this. What do you expect, asked Chad, from Carlos Henderson this year, and will he even get playing time with these new draft picks? Let's start with that, your answer for Chad. Anything you get out of Henderson this year will be a bonus. Even though he was a third-round draft pick last year, he missed the entire rookie season with a thumb injury. He's already behind the eight ball. Then he got arrested in January for marijuana, so he's not off to the best start in his NFL career. Um, He will make the team for sure. He will be in the mix as the number four, number five guy. But there's so much more talent ahead of him now. And I think the biggest indictment the Broncos made was drafting not one, but two receivers Mm. in the first four rounds in Sutton and Hamilton. So Henderson's a very, very explosive guy, a lot of raw potential there. I think he could make his bones mostly on special teams as a kick returner, more so than a wide receiver. So it's going to be tough for him to crack the rotation. He's really going to have to blow his receivers away and the coach, his receivers coaches and the coaching staff away in training camp, but he's not off to a good start so far i would i would concur and say that look follow what they do and not what they say what did they do last year they drafted two wide receivers both were extreme disappointments so they went back to the well and doubled up what does that tell you in terms of their faith and expectations in carlos henderson now that doesn't mean that you kick him to the curb and and cut him or anything but they hedged their bets because they they don't have high hopes at this point for a guy in Carlos Henderson, who went through some extreme disappointment, hurt his thumb, then you expect him to kind of climb out of it, be a professional, and then he gets busted for weed. And so now you're, as a team, you're going, great, what do we really have here? The talent is undeniable, but what he's got between the ears remains to be seen. We'll find out here in the you know the coming months once we get into, into training camp. But Chad also asked real quick here, does Jordan Taylor get cut? Which wide receivers do you think the Broncos start the season with, Zach? I don't think he gets cut. I think he does stay on the roster, if only for his versatility. He can play safety, wide receiver, quarterback, and punt returner. That's a very, very valued skill set in the NFL to have a player like that who can do so many different things. And I think, like Henderson, Taylor will be in the mix on specials to play punt returner along with Isaiah McKenzie. So let's see who your receivers are going to keep for sure. The top four locks are Thomas, Sanders, Sutton, and Hamilton. Other than that, though, everyone else could – reasonably get cut they're not safe uh i think it says more for kenny bell and river craycraft two really long shot guys i think it says a lot for isaiah mckenzie he could be on the chopping block you mentioned that last week chad that it sends a message to him uh so i think taylor is safe i think the broncos still like what they see in him he has a good frame good catch radius i think he could do well on offense with so many weapons and you can never have enough weapons for a quarterback like case keenum plus he's a utility guy you know the one thing you got to give it up to jordan taylor is he will do whatever his coaches ask for him to do and if that means returning punts if that means being a gunner and just gutting it out on special teams he'll do it if that means i've got a job and i've got a roster spot and it helps my team so don't definitely don't count jordan taylor out i would just say that there's basically two spots open and you're going to have a uh, a who's who of young wideouts trying to make up those those last two spots including taylor henderson mckenzie and then the the futures guys they signed that zach mentioned there so we'll see how that shakes out but uh Ask us again as we get a little bit more info and into training camp and see how some of these guys are looking. But next question comes from uh, Sarath Chang on Twitter. His question uh, is, is there a real QB competition for the backup spot 
or is it all for show, as Eric stated? Now, for listeners who might not get what he's saying here, Eric Trickle wrote a piece earlier this week that basically was saying, questioning whether or not Chad Kelly is going to get a true, fair shot to compete with Paxton Lynch for the backup job. So your answer for Sarah here, Zach, is there a real QB competition for the backup spot, or is it all for show? I think it's a little bit, a little bit of both, actually. I think there really is a, a competition to be Case Keenum's number two. If there wasn't, they would have signed or drafted another quarterback and added to that depth chart. I think, though, they like what they see in Chad Kelly, but I think it's more so a test for Paxton Lynch to see, is he going to get beat out by another seventh-round draft pick like the past couple years with Trevor Simeon? Can he, as a first-round pick, a guy the Broncos traded up for in that draft, a guy who was once billed as the future of the franchise, can he show progress now in his third year, his make-or-break year, it's crap or get-off-the-pot time? So I think it's a real test for him to see what he can do. And if he can't do it with better weapons, with continuity at, at, at the coaching staff, and in his third season, if he loses that to Chad Kelly, the Broncos see all they have to see in them, and they can move on from him uh, next offseason. Maybe they need to get Paxton one of those squatty potties, you know, to help him <laughs> actually crap while he's on the pot, you know, get some production out of him. I don't know. But listen, here's, here's where I'll disagree with Zach, a rare opportunity for us to, to have a, a, a conversation here that's where we're not sharing a brain. And here's where I disagree, and that is that I think as much as the Broncos haven't like clearly said, look, we're moving on from Paxton Lynch, obviously they're keeping him for a reason. They didn't get a quarterback for a reason in the draft and all that. But as much as that, you know, saying that, I think this is a front office and a coaching staff especially who is beyond the let's see how it shakes out perspective or hanging our hats on potential and draft pedigree. I think this is the year where the chips are down and there's they're only looking at, their only consideration is who shows up and gets it done. And I really believe that, that this is, you know, I don't think necessarily, you know, they're going to, they're going to outright cut Paxton Lynch, but I don't think he is guaranteed. Like some of my colleagues and many people who cover this team, I do not think Paxton Lynch is guaranteed a place on the roster because John Elway already has egg on his face when it comes to Paxton Lynch. You know, the the last two years have been an embarrassment and indictment enough on Elway's ability to, or at least his resume, when it comes to scouting and evaluating quarterback talent, which is saying something as a Hall of Famer. So he's already got the egg on his face. That he's that, there's, that water's already under the bridge. Now I think, to me, what it comes down to is, can you get the job done? And if you look at it through that prism, who, which guy are you going to hang your hat on in terms of if you're trying to project as an analyst or even as fans trying to figure out how this is going to shake out in the coming months? I put my... My money on Chad Kelly, a guy that is has a lot of first-round tools, or some first-round tools anyway, and is about as comp- – he might be the most competitive-minded person on that roster. And, yeah, he was Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, he was a seventh-round pick, and he fell through the draft and almost out of the draft. But I think he's going to come in and blow people away in training camp. That, if I got a bold prediction, then I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks, is watch out for Chad Kelly in 2018. 
I think the only reason that Paxton still has a job in Denver is because Elway doesn't want to admit his failure and he doesn't want to swallow his pride because he traded up for Lynch a few years ago. Uh, I'm with you, though. I think Chad Kelly will end up beating him out and and be the number two and, and ultimately force the team and the fan base to realize Paxton Lynch is a bust. He's not the future of this team. He has no future plans with the team, no. and it's time to go their separate ways. I have not seen anything from Paxton Lynch in two years. He hasn't had the best supporting cast. He has not had the best situations, but I have not seen anything from him that could show he can be even a quality number two guy like a yep. Trevor Simeon. And I think Chad Kelly, the only reason he fell in the draft, he was coming off surgery. He had attitude concerns. If those things weren't an issue, he would have been at least a third, fourth round pick, if not much Agreed. higher. Agreed. I, I do think that Kelly will beat him out, and I think Paxton Lynch, like you said, his clock will be ticking. He just doesn't have it between the ears. He's got the measurables. He's got this talent. He does have the talent, but he just doesn't have it between the ears. And the quintessential moment that puts all this in perfect picturesque uh, perspective was him crying on the bench in Oakland. So That was so bad. That's just, you know. Anyway, last question from Chef M. Great dude, a VIP subscriber at Mile High Huddle. His question, Zach, why did John Elway choose Vance Joseph over Kyle Shanahan? I, w- I wish I had an answer. I don't know. I have no idea. I was wondering about this when he first hired him. I've been wondering about this, racking my brain in the year and a year plus since. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. He, maybe because Vance blew uh, John Elway away in the interview process. Maybe yep. he really was impressed by his leader of men qualities. Maybe because he wanted him before he hired Gary Kubiak. I do not know. I do not have an answer. It made too much sense to hire Kyle Shanahan. Too much. He was the son of a legendary Broncos coach. He had an offensive pedigree. He was the guy to get this offense and these quarterbacks back on the right track, an established guy, not a defensive coordinator who only had one year at that level with the Dolphins. And in that one year, they were among the worst defenses in team history. What was Elway thinking? What did he see in him based on, you know, on paper statistics that would prove that he could be a good head coach? I don't know why. I don't know what was said. I guess he gives a good interview. And I think the reason Elway stuck with him this year was like Paxton Lynch. He did not want to admit his failure. He did not want to say and be have too much of the trigger finger to get rid of a head coach after only one year. That's never happened before in Broncos history. And I think it, it was a, a ploy from Elway to give Joseph and say, listen, it's all on you now. I gave you a better coaching staff at your own handpicked guys. I gave you a better quarterback, better offensive line. Better offensive weapons, the defense mostly intact. It's up to you now. You can sink or swim on your own volition. And I think if he fired him, no one would bat an eyelash. I think that's why he didn't do it last year. But I have no why. I have no reason to justify why he was hired. I think Kyle Shanahan was the clear favorite, and I'm still surprised that didn't happen. I think there's you hit the nail on the head with the first thing you said, which is, and this is something I know, the Broncos were blown away by Vance Joseph's interviews, both the first time when he uh, interviewed for the D coordinator job under Kubiak, and then the second time. What does that tell us? He is a very organized, methodical mind when it comes to football in that sense. It became a way, it was very impressive to the Broncos in that sense. What else happened between that? You could throw in the leaders of men and all that stuff. Who knows, you know? But I think another factor that might have played into this was the legacy aspect of the Shanahan name. And just crossing that bridge, even though he might have been the best coach for the Broncos at the time, and clearly, at least today, it looks like it was a mistake not hiring Shanahan, who made it 
no secret that he would have loved to end up in Denver. I think it had something to do as well with the Shanahan name and just not wanting to get it twisted with his father's accomplishments. And, you know, it's, there's been talks about Elway and Mike having issues and, you know, back end, who knows how much that might've played into it. I doubt much, but if anything, just a legacy aspect of, as you said, that we're talking about a legendary, literally the most successful head coach in Denver Broncos history, bringing in his son and just there's, it's, it is kind of a scary notion, but it's not if you believe in the coach, if you believe in the kid, if you believe in the man who you're actually looking at seriously considering to be a head coach, then all that other stuff shouldn't matter. And clearly, for whatever reason, the Broncos didn't feel like Kyle brought enough to the table to overcome some of those other legacy concerns. Maybe there was bad blood we didn't know about between Elway and Mike Shanahan. We don't know that. But if you watch the 49ers last year, they didn't have a third of the talent that the Broncos do. Mm -hmm. And every single game, they played hard for their coach. They competed. The Broncos were blown out multiple times. They had their worst losing streak in 50 years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that fell right on Vance Joseph's shoulders. You cannot make an excuse for it. Uh, one thing that was interesting to me was when they had joint practices last summer, the 49ers and Broncos, Kyle Shanahan met with the media and said in his gut, he knew he wasn't getting the Broncos job when he was interviewed. (laughs) And I think that's telling. I I think, you know, I I think they really gave the impression that they were doing him a favor almost by interviewing him. Mm. And maybe they didn't want to have another Shanahan. Maybe there's something behind the scenes there, but they only interviewed three guys, Kyle Shanahan, Dave Taub and Vance Joseph. How you hire Vance Joseph out of those three guys with no resume to speak for itself is beyond me. Yep. It's a question for the sages and prophets of time you know we'll have to we'll see how this resolves even further down the road now that Shanahan has a quarterback and you can argue that that VJ now has at least a capable quarterback so we'll we'll see how this shakes out in retrospect uh, you know good eight eight months from now but for today that's it you can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman 247 and myself at Chad and Jensen if you have questions you can hit us up on Twitter we're always going to try to address them on the show and then, of course, the best way, if you need something, you need to get something off your chest, to get a direct response from us, hit us up on the MHH Insiders Premium Message Board. Uh, but again, we're always going to try to engage with you, our listeners, as often as we can. And don't forget to join MileHighHuddle.com as a VIP and make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle. Ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.